Well, hello, and thank you for tuning in to Mission Driven You. My name is Will Sampson. I'm a change coach and a social scientist. I get the great privilege of working with mission-driven entrepreneurs and executives who want to do well and they want to leave the world a better place. And one of the ways that we do that is through collaboration, which is why I was so excited to spend time today talking with Peter Anthony. We talked about the various ways we collaborate. He breaks down the six elements of a collaborative conversation. We talked about the importance of collaboration for businesses and how to have meaningful, authentic collaboration with your customers. And then we spent some time imagining what the world would look like if we could figure out how to collaborate better, more bravely, and more vulnerably. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get started. Well, welcome to the podcast, Peter Anthony. I'm so glad you're here. G'day, Will, from Sydney, Australia. How you going? Yeah, it's going well. It's going well. And I love the Australian accent. So many dear friends from your part of the world. So as I mentioned to you, the, the first question we always ask, because we focus a lot on, on interdependence, even though we're looking at mission-driven individuals, we always ask the guests to tell us the story of someone or some group that made the difference for you. As you look back over your history, there was someone that was a real turning point for you. Who was that person? That person, Will, was definitely my mother. I mean, it's uh, like like many of us. When I was young, and when I when I'm talking young, I'm talking like five, six, seven years old, and just just developing my personality. I was extremely introverted, and I loved just sitting in my room reading books. I go to the local library, which was on the way back from school. I'd get some books, and I'd just spend most of my time in my bedroom reading. I, I loved it. And my mum came from a uh, an Irish Catholic family, or she was an Irish Catholic, and she had brothers and sisters with lots of kids. She had one uncle in particular, Michael Harry, that would come over with his with his kids, which were the same age as me. They'd come over for lunch, and I would just sit in my room reading and just pretty much ignore them. Very rude in, right. in retrospect. And my mother encouraged me to come out and, and talk to them. And I said, Mum, I, I don't know how to talk to people. I, I, I want to read my book. I just find it really threatening. There's a lot of people, and they're all laughing, and they're all engaging. And she said, just come out and ask them questions. Just ask your Uncle Harry questions. Just ask him how, how he's going. Ask him about life in the bush. And sure enough, I came out, I asked questions, and I got delighted by the responses. I, I had and still have an, an awesome relationship with him. So she began me thinking about this whole idea of relating, of asking, of, of life's about conversations, relationships about conversations. And that got me started on the mission that I am now. So I could definitely thank her for for that that guidance. I there. love that story. That's such a great story. Thank you for sharing it. And it sounds like it kind of set the stage for all the work you do on collaboration. And that's what we're going to talk about a lot today. So let's just start big picture. How do you define collaboration? Because that's we're going to we're going to use that word a lot. What does collaboration mean to you? A uh, collaboration is well, it's it's a relationship where where two or more people are involved, but we'll call it two people at this stage to so keep it simple. Two or more people uh, are involved and both people are measurably better off as a result of that relationship or as a result of that conversation. And ideally, you can get a pro-social outcome too. Like just say, for example, if you and I are talking about the environment, you get your outcomes, I get my outcomes, and the environment ends off a better place. So that's what a collaboration is to me. It can be a collaboration can be a conversation. You can have conversational collaboration. It could be a culture, a collaborative culture, a collaborative organization, a collaborative country. So right. 
that's how I define it. You're both better off as a result of the relationship. That's how I define it. Yeah. I love that definition of it because so often businesses, if they're not careful, can tend to think, well, it's a zero sum game. Like either I succeed or my, or my customer succeeds, either I get ahead or, or, or the other person gets yeah. ahead. But you bring the tools of collaboration to businesses. How do you help them? How do you help businesses think in terms of collaboration? Well, I think it's a, a great segue there, Will, because a lot of businesses, if they think about client or customer relationships, which is where I specialize, uh, they think in terms of selling. They think, okay, I need to sell my company, sell my products, sell my service, whether I'm selling cars or photocopiers or, or global factory right. uh, reconfigurations. And they think, I need to sell this. And as soon as you have that sales mindset, you're creating distance between you and the client or customer. You're putting downward pressure on fees or rates that, that you might have. And you're encouraging them to put downward pressure on, on prices that they're offering you or they'll agree to. And you think, well, some of the best research coming uh, now out of Wharton Business School suggests that the most profitable growth in organizations are the organizations that are client or customer centric. They put the customer at the center of the organization, not the product, but the customer. Right. And they become more ideal for that customer in a unique way. They're creating what uh, what Wharton uh, calls advocacy. So you're creating a relationship in your customers who are advocating you. And what they found was that it creates profitable growth. It creates this advocacy relationship. It promotes growth in shareholder value. And it also encourages you to create an internal, what Wharton calls a constructive culture, which is internally you're collaborating as well. So the, the culture is collaborative. You think, oh, that sounds very soft and fluffy, but it's not. It's it's the, the hard edge of profitable growth. And I'm delighted to, to have read that because it's the, I guess, it's the, it's the science or the evidence that a properly constructed collaborative relationship with your clients or customers is more profitable than any alternative. Yeah, and doesn't that sort of strike at the narrative that that, or maybe not narrative as much as fear, like you know that that you know again, it's a zero sum game, and and building that notion of customers as advocates. I mean, how how does collaboration? How does that? Let's start with customers because I, I want to talk about internal collaboration as well. A lot of my work is with corporations and and trying to find a way to collaborate internally is almost seems like a, you know, uh, like a, a ancient lost art or something. But <laughs> but let's talk about the creation of collaboration among customers. What does that look like? How does that work? Well, what it looks like is it looks like you with with your senior team understanding who your ideal customers are, like who who are we in the business of serving? And you could say, well, anyone that buys my product. And that's, that's not the right answer. The right answer is to say that there are there's something unique about what you're offering, whether that's a consulting service, whether that's a photocopier, whether it's a, a CRM system, whatever you're up, there's something unique about what you're offering and how you're offering it. And you must, it's imperative for you to understand how you can create a unique conversation with your clients or your customers, uh, if you like, where they regard you as the top of the food chain in terms of your value proposition. Now, if you look at, like I do, exit research um, from customers and clients, and you ask them, yeah. what's the main thing you're looking for from a commercial relationship with an organization? The number one thing they say, Will, is they say, I'd like someone 
that has a unique understanding of my needs and my environment. They want a unique understanding. That's what they're asking for. They're not asking for a product or a company or a business or a, or a handshake. They say, I want you to uniquely understand me and the reward for that understanding, that unique understanding, is I'm willing to pay you more than a competitor. Mm. And, yeah. and, that's where the, and that's where the profitable growth comes in. The profitable growth comes from it's the result of the unique understanding of your ideal customer. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. No, it makes a ton of sense. And how, yeah. And how do you create that unique understanding? Because, you know, again, I know even for myself, sort of like creating a relationship with customers can be really difficult. Sometimes it feels adversarial. How do you get to know customers? Because the beginning of that relationship can feel really artificial and it doesn't feel yeah, yeah. collaborative. It feels like, Hey, I'm, I'm the guy with the thing, <laughs> you know, like how do you, how do you actually build authenticity into that customer interaction and customer engagement so that it is truly a relationship. You do truly understand their needs. You're not just there to sell them something. That's right. So that, that's another great question. So I'm assuming you're running a business that has customers. Yeah. I'm not assuming you're starting from scratch. Right. So assumption one, you've got customers. Assumption two, they're buying from you. That's why they're customers. So what I would suggest, just say you've got 100 customers, make the maths easy. Right. You're going to have about 10% of them that are big ones and the other 80 or 90% that are relatively small that you're growing and right. developing. For the, for the smaller ones I would and, and the big ones, I would ask them, but I'd ask them in two different ways. Mm. For the smaller ones, what I would do is I would... I would design a very simple online survey that will take them, and what we find is if it takes less than 10 minutes to complete, it gets a higher completion rate. And you're asking them a, a series of questions, not, not about how satisfied are you with us, right. because sat satisfaction is the enemy of growth. It's the enemy of growth, because what we find is that up to 80% of customers that are satisfied with you are happy to change suppliers. So, okay. and if you just yeah. think about, if you just reflect for a moment on satisfaction, think, oh, if I said to my wife, oh, honey, I'm interested in a satisfactory marriage with you. What are my kids? <laughs> you know what? Right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, how would she react? Would she be happy? Of course not. Yeah. Or if I said to my daughter, you know what, honey, I, I, I really want to be a satisfactory dad to you. Of course it will right. For a friendship, mate, I really want to be a satisfactory friend to you. My goal, you think, well, it, it, it doesn't make, it, it's just stupidity. Right. Yet we, are, we, are, we ask customer satisfaction surveys and it drives me crazy. I'm right. thinking, why are you asking for, you're actually telling people, you're telling your customers that you want to be satisfactory. I want you <laughs> right. to be satisfied. And it, it, it's just lunacy. It's lunacy. Right. It's lunacy. Right. So, so you're, ask, you're asking them, you're working out, and I, I don't know what, what business the listener might be in, but whatever business you're in, you're selling a good or a service. Right. So you think, okay, there's going to be certain characteristics of that good or that service. You're asking questions like with regards to the product, with regards to the service level, with regards to the salespeople, with regards to the support people. You're asking them two questions or, or questions on two levels. Number one is, how do you experience us now? And, and the, the second level is, ideally, how would you like to experience us? Interesting. Yeah. And, and you'll, yeah. You'll, you'll, see, you'll see a difference. And, and, then, and you, can, you, can, you can quite honestly and obviously say, we are on a mission 
to make our relationship ideal. Like if you said to your wife, honey, I want to make this relationship ideal for us. I yeah. want to make it really yeah. hum. Of course she's going to engage. You say to a friend, mate, I'd really like this to be an ideal friendship. What can we do to really make this awesome for both of us? So you're asking those questions. You're getting the, for the smaller ones, you're doing it online. And it's relatively right. simple to do. We do it all the time. Right. And you get the answers. And then you can you can reconfigure the business or reconfigure how you're offering what you offer to make it more ideal and make it obvious to the customer. Say, look, thank you for your response, Will. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Here's what we're doing about it for you and for the, the rest of uh, rest of our clients. But but you're mainly interested in you, not everybody else. The guy's right. cool, and that, and that sets you apart. If I said at the beginning, you've got to make yourself unique and valuable. That's unique. Right. Very right. few companies do this. Now, for the really big customers, the really big important ones, invite them into a room and say, look, Will, yeah. really keen. Uh, we, we really enjoyed this relationship. We'd like to broaden and deepen it and be as valuable as possible to you and to your organization. Would you mind coming in uh, for a couple of hours in the morning and we can we can, we can can talk through how to make our relationship more ideal? I mean, I do this all the time for clients. They invite people like me in to facilitate a conversation like that. The clients often ask me to invite their customers into the room. So they've got me, a total stranger, ringing their big clients. I'm talking big airlines, big banks, big right. consulting firms. And I've never, I've been doing this for like 11 or 12 years. I've never had one turn me down. Not because I'm so charming, because I'm not, but because it's a right. great offer. Right. It's a great, because because they wanted to be more ideal. They wanted to work. They wanted to work as much, if not more than you do, because they're taking more risk than you. Right. If, if you're selling them something, you're not taking any risk. If they're buying what, I mean, I was working for a, a big photocopier company. And they said, oh, Peter, we're not photo, we're not selling photocopiers. We're selling document management systems. Okay, document management. Okay, I got it, right? That's a huge, it's a huge risk, right? It's a huge risk right. to change how, you know, huge global multinational organization to change how they manage documents. It's a big yeah. risk. They take the risk, not you, or you're going to lose as a customer. They, they might lose profitable growth in their own right. So you ask them, you know, that, that, and they'll enjoy that conversation. And that gives you priceless information because otherwise what's the alternative you and your brain's trust of directors that know everything are going to sit in a room and work it out by yourselves really you're going to work it up how do you know you might have a sense of it because you're successful in serving them but you don't know you don't know as well as they do so ask them so that that's where i'd start and sorry for getting so passionate because i love this stuff and i'm meeting people regularly and i need to just Shake them up. Say, hey, <laughs> you don't know this. If you knew, you'd be doing it already. You've tried everything right. you know already. That's why I'm here. Right. <laughs> anyway. Right. And I love that you're there. I find it interesting, though, and I want you to talk more about this because you kind of referenced it. You're inviting the customer in, uh, not the company themselves. Y- yes. Is yes. It, why is that? Is that is that uh, the, the CEOs or the whoever would be inviting them in are normally – they feel safer with you doing it? Like, what's what's happening there? I, I think partly it's safer. I think partly it's because, I mean, I know a lot of CEOs and most of them are scared. Yeah. Most of them, um, they'd never admit it, but they're scared. Most of them grew up in a, like a, a specialty area. Like, they they grew up through a specialty area in the organization. They become CEO. Now they're a right. generalist across a huge organization. And they're making decisions, and they really don't know what they're doing a lot of the time. They would never admit that, but they don't. 
So I think, I think one is they're a bit scared. What if he says no? I said, look, in 12 years, never had a no. What if mine say no? They're scared, right? They're scared they're going to say no, number one. Right. Right? They've had like a 10-year relationship with them globally, but they might say no to a meeting. Really? They'd say no? Okay, they might say no. <laughs> and secondly, it, 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 gives me, it gives me the, I guess it gives the, a sense of objectivity. Yeah. And if I'm doing the inviting, <clears throat> and if, if I'm doing the facilitating, if you like, of the conversation, it gives it a, a sense of impartiality, which it is. I mean, I'm obviously being employed by the client. I don't pretend I'm not. Sure. I'll, I'll ring them. I'll say, look, I'm pluck a name out of the air. I'm, I'm working for Deloitte Consulting. They've asked me to have this conversation with you and invite you into a meeting about how we can make the relationship between you and Deloitte a more profitable one for both of you. And I explain how the process will work, where it's going to be, how, how it's going to run, any concerns they have. And I'm like the independent facilitator, if you like, in that room. And it, yeah. it works really well. It works yeah. really well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that approach. And I want to ask you in just a minute about sort of the elements. I know you have different elements of a collaborative conversation. Another thing I wanted to drill down on in, in your share was this survey of experience. I remember, for example, in the late 90s, there was like, the, I remember the book Experience Economy, and we kind of looked at sort of, that was the Disney of the world. And yet, it seems true that a lot of our companies, and I think this relates to collaboration as well, a lot of our companies have really understood that the customer experience is so much more important than whatever this generic idea of satisfaction might be. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've done a, a lot of work with, with big consumer good companies that obviously selling consumer goods in supermarkets. Right. And one of the interesting trips I had was I was working for a, a global supplier of tissue products like facial tissues right. and so forth. Mm-hmm. And they sell their brand at a premium. They're very expensive uh, facial tissues. They invited me to go to their plant where they manufacture these tissues. And literally, it's a plant or a factory where... Trees come in one end and tissue boxes come out the other. Quite an extraordinary place. But right. but what what really? And I was a, I'm I'm not technologically minded, and I love just watching technology in action. But what really fascinated me though, Will, was that they were making a lot of the no brand or cheap and cheerful, as we call them, uh, branded tissue products. Same trees, same tissues, same box, yeah. same paper, yeah. same print, same perfume. But consumers were willing to pay more for the branded product. Right. Even though, even when you told them, we, we did exit research of the consumers and even if we told the consumers it's the same product in that box, right. they were still willing to pay more. Now, because that's the experience the consumer gets consuming that product. I, I feel better with a facial tissue. It makes me feel better. I have a better experience of this product because I feel like those guys get me. And... No, but nothing but a premium product is going to touch my face because my face is so precious, even though it's a bit of a rough yeah. head. My, my face is very precious, right? So, right. so right. It, it, it's, it's very true. You think, well, then I think, because I'm the how-to guy. Okay, if that's true, if there's a Disney experience, if there is one, what is it? And how do I create it? Yeah. And how do, how do I know it's working? How do I know that's going to get more people into more Disney parks and spending more money while they're there. How do right. I know that? Right. Like, so the same question I'd be asking them is, okay, who is your ideal customer? Like when I went to Disney with my kids, uh, what, five years ago, it was full of big, uh, we were staying at a hotel close to Disney like most people do. It was full of big families. We're downstairs at breakfast. There's a lot of like extended families, big families. I'm thinking right. maybe that's their ideal. 
our ideal is the mum or the dad or the uncle or the aunt or the grandma. And that's the right. idea because they're the catalyst to bring everybody else along. But right. I want to know what that is. And I, I want to know how do I make that more ideal for them? How do I attract more of them in a way that's unique so competitors can't get them to? Yeah. 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 And, and to get harken back to what you said earlier, you know, the ex, these companies that have really refined and defined the experience, uh, selling the experience, they do have a sense that from the people that go there that, oh, these people get me. These people understand me. That this, this they, company, get, they get me. And, uh, yeah. And you think yeah. of the biggest brands in the world, like uh, you think of like a household name like Nike, right? Or Apple. Right. You think, well, what did Nike do in the in the beginning and what do they continue to particularly in the beginning? What they did really well was they were a very exclusive elite brand of, of running shoes. Yeah. They're they hard mm-hmm. to get originally. You couldn't get them everywhere. Right. And they were they were used and designed on the feedback of elite athletes. Yeah. So when I'm when I'm going for a run, I'm not thinking I'm an elite athlete. But I want, I want to wear the shoe the elite athlete wears because I'm a bit of an elite athlete when I run with this Nike shoe, right? Right. Or if I'm, right. if, or if I'm Apple, if I, if I, so, that, so that's uniquely understanding my need as a guy that goes right. for a run. Or right. I'm Apple, right? What, what, what was Apple grew up, their brand grew up as being the creative one. Microsoft was the boring, conservative one. Right, right. And Apple was creative. So if I had an Apple, I was creative. Even though it's the yeah. same computer, I'm more creative using an Apple. I open up this Apple and I'm, I'm a creative guy. I suddenly get more creative when I'm using an Apple. Right? right. So I'm feeding into that, which is great <laughs> because you're satisfying my need to feel creative and like an athlete, of which I'm not. I'm not creative and I'm not athletic, but I'm, right. I'm going to buy that into my, into my house. Right. It's interesting, though, as you're, as you're talking about it, Peter, I'm, I'm going through like my own consumer choices. Like, like I very deliberately don't use Nike. I use Brooks running shoes because Brooks yeah. are for real runners. Like that's like runners yeah. run yeah. with Brooks, you know? Yeah. And they, yeah. Get, they get me, even the global company. It's yeah. At the same brand, I mean, at the same thing, Will. It's the same thing. I mean, yeah. you're, you're not one of the, 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 these Nike people that think they're athletes. Or not. I'm, a, I'm a practical Brooks guy. Because right. there are there are, exactly. Brooks, there are Brooks runners, right? right. I'm, I'm a Brooks guy. Exactly. I'm a, Nike, I'm a Brooks me. guy. They get me. They yeah. get me, which is right. exactly what we're talking about, Will. They get me, and that's why you buy the shoes. And even though you could probably buy a cheap and cheerful non-branded sure. shoe that's basically right. the same shoe, but you're not right. going to do that. You're going to spend an extra couple of hundred bucks to get the shoe that makes you feel like they get me. I'm, I feel better putting on these Brooks shoes. And that's how exactly. they want you to feel because that's how they know you want to feel. But they've got to know that in the first, they're going to start from how you feel. That's where it starts. Yeah. It doesn't start with a product. You don't start with a product and make it how people feel. That, that's that's lying, selling, cheating, bluffing, puffing, all right. old school selling. Right. It's about, right. yeah, and, and, and the reward for that understanding, that unique understanding is the profitable growth. That's the reward. Yeah. The growth, the profitable growth comes second. The understanding comes first. Yeah, I love that. I want to kind of dig into the mechanics of collaborative conversations now, because I know you have different, you identify different elements of a collaborative conversation. Can you kind of walk us through the mechanics of a collaborative conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So and I wrote a book on this, which, which I, I learned a little bit about it. I'll, I'll try and keep this short. So uh, if you think about if you think about collaborations, we have like globally and strategically, ultimately, those relationships come down to conversations. 
each relationship is a conversation and the quality of the relationship is the quality of the conversation. They think, well, how do I have a collaborative conversation? The first thing they think about is the opposite of selling. The complete, whatever you think about selling, this is the opposite. That's the first thing to think about. The second thing to think about is you have a deliberate intention to collaborate and you are obviously demonstrably a collaborator. Say, hey, Will, I really want to collaborate with you in this conversation. So you're making it obvious that you're being authentic, you're being yourself, you're being genuine and you're being optimistic to give you, Will, a sense that we're going to be better off as a result of this conversation. So you start with those intentions or those mindsets and you think, uh, and I call them moments of truth. There's six moments of truth in a, com- in a collaborative conversation. The, the first of those is to have a goal. This is before the conversation starts. And the goal is to think, okay, if I'm talking to Will, what's going to be different about how Will is thinking, how he's feeling or what he's doing that's going to be better for Will that's consistent with my goal? So I'm thinking about that goal in advance. I'm thinking, uh, how am I going to change how he's thinking? I'll benefit to him. How am I going to change what he's doing? And these are great questions when you're thinking about selling something to somebody. And the final one, and the money questions, is how do I want him to feel? How does he need to feel differently for this relationship to progress? Like, say, for example, I might set a goal like, I want Will to feel more comfortable with us. I want him to understand us better and feel more confident that we're a trusted business partner, for example. So I'm starting with that goal in mind. I think that's my goal. And it could be a combination of them, not just one. It could be a combination of them. And don't forget right. the feeling goal because you're building a relationship. You're not serving a pizza. You're not delivering it. You're not delivering something. That's why I can't stand PowerPoint. You can't deliver a presentation. <laughs> oh, you. you can't deliver a relationship. Really? Right. When was the yeah. last time we went home with PowerPoint? Hey, honey, here's my PowerPoint deck <laughs> on our marriage. Really? Right. <laughs> really? Right. So, so, right. So, yeah, sorry, I, I love, I don't know if, if you've seen this quote from David Byrne of The Talking Heads, but he said, power corrupts and PowerPoint corrupts absolutely. I, I haven't seen that, but I'm going to steal that one. I love that one. You, I love it's that one. all yours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't, I can't, hand, I can't stand it. I just, it's the, it, anyway, let's get off PowerPoint and get off my other soapbox. So, so you've, <laughs> you've, you've got moment one before the conversation starts, you're thinking, and obviously that's when your intentions yeah. start kicking in, your subconscious starts kicking in. Then you've got moment number two, which is is relating, and there's been a ton written on rapport and relationship. The key thought I'd like to leave with the listeners here is to say, listen until you disappear. Listen wow, until I you disappear. Yeah. Right? Like mm-hmm. all, all your ego and suits and everything, that disappeared. And all, you're just there. And they'll feel it. When you're with someone that's completely with you, you can feel their presence. And when you do that, a whole lot of subconscious things kick in that help you build that relationship because you will subtly and subconsciously do the things required to build the relationship when you give them your attention. That's the gateway to it. That's the gateway into the relationship because most of relationship is built subconsciously, not consciously. And Jung said, your conscious mind is like a cork that bobs on the ocean of the subconscious. So you're trying to think your way. You're the cork, right? Your conscious mind's the cork. The rest is the ocean. And you reckon the cork's right. going to beat the ocean. Really? Okay. Knock yourself out in the cork. I'm, I'm going to be in the ocean, right? Okay. Right. So, so, right. Uh, the, the third one is taking the lead. Like, you're a lead. Give the conversation some structure. And yeah. you're going to answer four primary questions a person has when they're talking to you. One is, why is this conversation taking place? What outcome are we going to achieve? How do you plan or suggest that we get there? And so what's going to be next? Like, how does this conversation build a potential relationship between us that's valuable in a unique way? 
and you just yeah. say, I might say, uh, good morning, Will. Thanks for agreeing to meet. Look, the reason the reason we're meeting uh, today is we're, we're looking for a way to demonstrably improve profitable growth in your customers. Yeah. Yeah. By the end of the conversation, you'll understand how I'll understand your particular uh, customer uh, environment. You'll understand profitable growth, customer-centric growth. Then we can agree on whether there's a way forward. How does that sound? It sounds great. Okay, there's our structure. Right. It, just, it, it could be one sentence, but it gives it some structure and it gives you permission to lead. Because for me, leadership is about followership, not about dominating. It's about generating people that want to follow you. That's leadership. That, that's yeah. It's not telling them what to do. It's, it's in, then you've got the structure. Then what I'd suggest that uh, in this moment number four now is the understanding part. And I borrowed an idea here from, uh, I borrowed stole an idea from Stephen Covey when he said, seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. So you need to understand how they're making a decision about this, like what they're doing now. You want to know how they make it, like what criteria they use to make decisions, what order those criteria are in. You want to know what they mean, which I love. Like, what do you mean by that? Like people say, I want, I want, Cost effectiveness. Well, Will, what does cost effectiveness mean to you? I'm really curious right. and get really right. curious about the meaning thing because you'll find the people you find hardest to convince are people with different meanings than you. Very yeah. good. Like, like when I think when I think swim, like I do most mornings where I live, I like diving into a cold ocean and swimming for three kilometers. Usually at dawn, that's a swim to me, right? right. So you say swim, I think dawn, ocean, cold. You probably think yeah. warm pool, chlorine. Right, different meanings right. for the same thing, right? Right. And the, and the final part there I want to know is I want to know what you want to avoid the most because you've got real yeah. concerns. And the deeper the relationship, the more I'm going to hear about your concerns. And say, look, Will, I'm just really curious. You must have some concerns about this. Like you're changing document management globally in the company. There must be concerns you have about this. Yeah, I actually have, Peter, and here's what they are. So you get their concerns on the table. So that, that's moment four. And I'm, I'm going over the surface here. There's a lot more depth in each yeah. of these, as you can yeah, imagine. Sure. But you want to you know, I'm not, I, I don't get prescriptive about what questions to ask, like having power closes and particular questions, right. like you read off a script. No, 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 no. You want the outcomes. And the outcome is the relationship. The relationship comes from, again, uniquely understanding them, their needs and their environment. And th this is where you get your value proposition. Then you take that understanding at moment number five and you'd say, okay, I'm going to make a recommendation based either based on those decision-making values or I'm going to recommend I change something about them. Because what a lot of client-facing organizations forget is that your clients are only making that decision once every couple of years. You're with it all the time. If I go back right. to document management, the senior execs making a decision about document management in the company might do it once every five years. You're with it every day. So you might have unique understandings and ideas and perspectives that, yeah. that might help them change how they're making that decision. You need enough trust that, that they will trust that you might consider an alternative, like please consider an alternative. That's moment number five. Moment six is you're agreeing. So you make the recommendation. They're going to say yes, no, or maybe. I love yes. I love no better. Not because I'm a masochist, but because too many commercial relationships are based on a lie. The salesperson or the client-facing person is lying to themselves about how good this opportunity is, and the client or customer is lying that's going to progress. And they pretend it's progressing and it's not really. Right. It, and it's, and at some stage, it right. dies, and you both waste a lot of time. So I like no. I love a deal-breaking no. In fact, I like pulling back from a relationship because I want to see how invested they are in this relationship, or are they just puffing up my tires?
are being nice to me by not telling me the truth, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And I don't want that. I mean, I, I, I don't want that. I, I'm honestly saying, look, I'm, I, I'm really, I, I really need to understand your level of commitment here because I'm a really bus, busy person. I work in 12 countries and I've got five kids. I'm a really busy person. So I need to get a sense of your commitment because I'm all in if you're all in, right? Yeah. But if you're not, any concerns, let me know. And I, I start back and then I, I say, well, are you going to come towards me or not? Like how committed? Oh, matter of fact, Peter, we do have some concerns. This may need to delay it. Next, okay, delay it. That's great. Put it in. Put it, put it in the future. That's fine because I've got things I want to work on now, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and the final answer is so. I've got a yes. I've got a no. I've got a maybe. If it, if it's a maybe, I'm thinking I want to translate that maybe into a yes that's worth having for both of us. That I need to revisit the decision making, or I need to do a simple negotiation with you to land us because, right. like I would say, as we suggested at the beginning, I, I'm. I'm here to create a collaborative relationship with you and show you how to do that with your ideal clients. That's what I do. And I practice right. what I preach, right? Yeah. I, I'm practicing this. I'm showing you how I do it. I'm not just saying, you know, go ahead and do this. I'm not doing that, but you, you can go ahead and knock yourself out doing it. I, I'm, I'm right. doing it first. There's so many things I love about that, Peter, that those six elements and the six moments of a conversation, what I love most or what I really want to highlight is how that is the, a method for an authentic conversation. Relationship. That's what I really yeah, love. Relationship. Yeah. And there's no way I can structure a conversation with you, Peter, that's going to be for your best outcome if I don't know you. Exactly. Right? I, I, yeah. this, I, I absolutely love that approach. So, yeah, talk, talk more about that. Uh, well, uh Talk more about what understanding them and understanding their environment. Yes. Is that what you yeah, mean? yeah, because you quoted Covey, and you're always—it's always going to be a winner on this show to quote Stephen Covey. <laughs> but but those habits of interdependence, one of which is to seek first, seek first to understand, it, then to be understood. Yeah, exactly. And, and his son, I think it was Stephen R. Covey, uh, wrote a yeah. book on trust. It's called The Speed of Trust. Yes, and the I, I, I really I really like that idea too because because. What you're doing here is you are opening yourself up and you're opening up the relationship at the same time. So you're saying, okay, I'm going to be authentic here. I'm, I'm going to put all my marbles on the table, all my chips on the table and say, I'm going to take a big gamble here. I'm, I'm going to gamble that this approach uh, in this relationship and in your business is going to work. And in doing that, I'm borrowing some ideas too from Brene Brown when she talked about courage. And she said, yep. courage she takes it from the ancient Latin cur, C-U-R, which is telling the story of who you are with your whole heart. So I'm going to be, I'm going to go first. I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to understand you first before you understand me. And then I'm going to trust that my authenticity and my optimistic intention and my collaborative intention is going to work with you. Now, it's a little bit like dating, Will. Not that I've dated for a long time, but my wife's not listening to this. It's a, bit, a, little, bit like dating, a little bit like dating. It, it's like, well, to, to me, uh, dating is like sorting. You're, you're sorting through the people that can potentially be a life partner for you. So you're looking for the sort of qualities in them that are capable of constructing a relationship because my biggest sale, I've got a huge sales team, Will. I didn't mention this earlier. I've got a huge sales team. I've got thousands of people around the world because every person that's attended a workshop I've run yeah. or I've consulted to is my salesperson, right? Yeah. And I'd say to your, your, your listeners, 
every customer of yours is your best salesperson because they they live in tribes of people who will recommend you to them and they like to have similar needs as right. you do. So I'm looking towards building a deep, authentic, collaborative relationship. I'm going to go first. And if you're not in, that's great because you're not a guy I can get results from. If you're, I meet some CEOs that are masters of the universe. They've got a unique understanding of, of everything, right? I think, well, I can't work with you because surely I know more about this than you do. I've been working in this since 1998 exclusively. 1998, every day, 12 countries, thousands of people wrote a book on it. I'm not saying this arrogantly or to impress you. I'm just saying I may have an insight that's worth listening to. If you don't think so, that's great because you can't be a potential client of mine because you'll never get it. Right. Because right. show me the leader, I'll show you the culture. If you're the guy leading, I wouldn't talk this directly to him. This is how I'm thinking. If you're the guy leading this, there's no way it's going to work. Zero chance it's going to work. Right. right. Because I, I right. need a leader. And this is what I'd say. Look, I need a leader that embraces this idea. Like this is externally. We haven't discussed internal culture because I recommend you do the same constructive, collaborative, affiliative right self-actualizing culture internally because guess what i've done i've done lots of research where you're researching the client or customer experience and you're researching internal culture and guess what they mirror each other i'll say which one do you want to see first the internal culture or the client experience because i'll say one predicts the other and you can't have constructive collaborative highly profitable external client or customer relationships with a toxic internal culture it's not possible Right. And yet toxic internal cultures seems to be, you know, kind of the, the course for the day. I want to tap all every <laughs> ounce of your practical business experience, but I think there's a bigger conversation here. So a lot of the people listening to this are people I describe as people who want to do well and want to do good. So they want to be profitable. Yeah. They want great collaborative relationships with their customer, but they want to leave a better world behind. And so Let's spend just a few minutes thinking about this idea of collaboration because a lack of collaboration leads to toxic internal cultures. That yeah. seems to be too many of the corporate clients I work with. We just seem to have lost the capacity to collaborate in our world. And I'm wondering if you can, because I know you think broadly as well. I'd love for you to reflect more broadly. Like, how did we get, how did we get here? Like what happened to us and why are we so, why is collaboration just so darn hard in this world that we live in? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Will. And I've reflected on this and the, the how, the how question, how did we, I believe it's social media because social media has created entrepreneurs or social media entrepreneurs that make money, whether it's on TikTok or on YouTube, pick your, I'm not, I'm platform agnostic here. Right. But the people that make the most money and the, the most clicks, the most likes, the most subscriptions are the ones that are the most polarizing. Yeah. So if, if you think of the most successful social media identities, what, the, the most successful one is currently in a Budapest jail. <laughs> so a guy called right. Andrew Tate, he, yep. he was the most Google person last year. So I'm not just saying this, we're talking here like, metrics now it creates a, a culture that encourages you to be polarizing and two problems with that one it's polarizing the second problem is that it also if you're a social media consumer like a, on youtube or facebook TikTok, name your platform you'll get fed up more of what you're already watching right. so if i if i'm into jordan peterson who i am i i, I love listening to him explain things 
I'll get fed more Jordan Peterson. So th- right. that's that's going to broaden and deepen, not broaden, it'll just deepen like one unique area. Or if I'm if right. I'm political, if I'm Democrat or Republican, if I'm pro-Trump, I'm going to get more Trump and more anti-Democrat. Right. If I'm Democrat, I'm going to get anti-Trump and pro-Democrat. So it's just, right. it just it's the reason it's happening is is our our social media environment. It's rewarding people that are polarizing. And the more polarizing, the better, and their opponents. And it's feeding you up more of what's what your bias has already reinforced. There was some Wharton research recently which said that in the US, at least, the people have never been more polarized and less likely to change their point of view after a conversation. I think that that's how it's happened. And these people are getting rewarded. I mean, the social media identities or celebrities, whether it's Instagram or wherever you want to name, right. they're getting rewarded hugely for this. Right. So it, right. there's a there's a you get the attention, you get the ego, you get all these likes, you get everyone loving you. Now, plus you get you get paid for by the social media platform as well. You get paid like for by the click. Yeah, you get people by the click. So I think that's how it's happened. I think right. I think that would, I think that's the mechanism of how the polarizations happen, and it, it really concerns me, yeah. particularly as a as yeah. a father. It concerns me because I think this this is right. the environment my children are growing up in. Right. It, it it's it's an anti collaborative world. Yeah. Exactly. It's a competitive world. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, Andy. I guess it is competition. I'm not sure what that's like. The the toxic opposite of collaboration, where where I'm being paid to to trash Will and do everything I can to bring him down because right. he's, he's an evil. He's part of the evil empire, and he's he believes in hierarchy. He should, he talks about lobsters. Right. I need to get rid of him. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Exactly. But I think, think I that's about to. I, I, yeah. I, I think that I think that um, the what to do about it. What I believe is that uh, not just what I believe, but there's a, a really interesting um, lady called Eleanor Ostrom. She's the last female, I'm sure, to win a Nobel Prize for economics, and she she won it by. And this is a good a good example for us, I guess. She won it by studying what's called the tragedy of the commons. Now, the commons is a, a name that came from like medieval times when uh, if we if we were all cattle farmers, we all had our cattle, like you'd have your cattle, I'd have my cattle, we'd have like four or five different um, cattle properties and there'd be, there'd be common land that we'd share that our cattle could graze on and we'd share it. And the tragedy of the commons was that if any of us overgrazed that land, it was good for them but bad for everybody else. So it was a classic, a classic case study of collaboration because if we all collaborated properly, like you get you get your cattle grazed, I get my cattle grazed, plus the environment survives, which is the yeah. common the common land. And she developed this approach she called pro-social collaboration, which I really love, which you can also use in in organisations to build pro. If, if you've got a pro-social cause, she developed a, a very an awesome model called pro-social collaboration, where you can build you can build pro-social collaborative cultures in your organisation. So. Not only are you collaborating internally, and we talked about the commercial customer part, you can collaborate in a way that gives you pro-social outcomes. And I've worked with big, like globally recognized charities, helping them like develop pro-social cultures because that's more likely right. to create that that pro-social outcome. Now, that's the answer. And she's already cracked it. Who was it yeah. that said, if I've seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants? I mean, all I've yeah. done is look at people like this and think, wow, that's so impressive. I love that idea. How can I learn more about it? So yeah. th- that work has been done. 
Like the the, yep. the the how do we get out of it work's been done, but but is there an appetite for this? I'm not 100 percent sure because even in the environmental and pro-social space, there's a, a lot of antagonism and us yeah. versus them, and you're wrong and I'm right and I'm you're good, I'm evil. Like it's still it they're not collaborating with each other. Yeah, yeah. So I want to ask you to to sure. take us out though on a hopeful thought. So, yeah. um, and, and I, we're doomed. I know. No, it's, no, that's okay. Cause it, cause it is. I think, I don't think you're wrong in your assessment. I think that's so correct. But I want you to imagine that everyone that, that, that the world leaders are listening to this podcast right now. They wake up to the power of collaboration. I want you to think 15 to 20 years into the future and imagine the, the power of collaboration really begins to take hold in this world. What do you see changing? What's your vision for what a world that is collaborative could look like? Well, I do have I do have hope, Will, and I'm glad you've asked me that because I'm sounding very like apocalyptic. Yeah. I, I, I do have hope, and, and what gives what gives me hope is that I believe, and all I believe after reading many evolutionary biologists, is that collaboration is the essence of the evolutionary spirit. And the reason I believe that is that if you look at evolutionary biologists, they find that one of the reasons our particular species of human developed over the others was that we learned to collaborate before our competitors. We learned to work together. And by working together, we needed to have communication better, better than grunting we developed a language, and part of the reason we've got all these prefrontal cort cortexes in our brain is the language center, and language is the, is the beginning and the means of the relationship. So my, I believe quite strongly that this evolutionary spirit has taken us to now through the catastrophes and wars and famines and plagues that have happened uh, to us and the evil dictators that happened to us, and we've managed not just to, to survive but to thrive. After each catastrophe... We've gone upwards. I, I believe today is a catastrophe. I, I believe the way that we are relating is catastrophic because you literally cannot solve a problem when you're living in an echo chamber of people shouting the same thing. Right. I, I, I believe that won't work. And I believe this evolutionary spirit will take us forward and we will yeah. we will learn to collaborate because it's, it's in our nature. It, it's part of who we are. And I think right. I think the crises facing us in the world, like whether you believe it's human crises, whether there's female crises, whether it's evil, whether it's environmental crises, what I believe is that we will collaborate and we will again make the world a better place. So if I'm waking up, not that I will in 30 years, if I'm very lucky, if I'm waking up in 30 years, the world will be a better place. We'll look back on this time, this this digital this digital anarchy that we're living in now as something right. in the past it, it will pass right yeah, yeah. I, I believe yeah. that because I, I believe it's in because and you and and you don't even need the evolutionary biologist you know you feel better when you when you're right. in a relationship where you're both getting a great outcome it, you you right. you don't need science to tell you that and we know that and we we will reject this i believe that to be true and yeah. people like you and i that's why i, I loved reading about your podcast, Will, I, I love the work that you're doing. And that, that's why I'm here, because Thank I you. want to promote this message. I, I want to like get people yeah. thinking about this and think, okay, I can't change the world, but I can change my world. I, I can change how I relate, how I run my business, how I have relationships, 
how I contribute in my community that, that I live in. I'm going to be an exemplar of collaboration uh, and yeah. show people it's a more profitable, smarter, more enjoyable way of, uh, of living. Yeah. That is a beautiful, brilliant thought to take us out on. So Peter Anthony, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your thoughts about collaboration. And I hope that the people listening not only use this to transform the way they do business, but they use it to transform the way they live. Fantastic. Thank you, Will. 